0: Welcome to Packet Pushers, the data networking podcast that goes where few people fear to tread. Today, that includes the ITF 99 conference in Prague. I'm here, thanks to Huawei for their financial support. If you've been tracking in on the conversations over the last few weeks, um, you'll know that um, we've been recording a whole bunch of shows, some long, some short, and it's going to be another mystery grab bag show today. I am talking with Michael Richardson. Michael, why don't you tell people very briefly about yourself?
1: I'm from uh, Ottawa, Canada. I uh, built some of the first firewalls in the early 1990s Mm -hmm. and uh, started coming to ITF to solve this dreaded VPN problem at the time. Mm. And I keep getting sucked back into the VPN IPsec space. Yep, I'd really like to leave.
0: That problem's never been solved really, has it?
1: The fact (laughs) that it's still not easy and ubiquitous and that there's 19 different ways of doing it um, is, is really frustrating and annoying and... It would all be better, good if they would just listen to me and go with the one true way. Um,
0: <laughs> if, it, if they just did just, it Michael's they way. If just did it, it, it my way, it would be easy. Yeah. Um, there's but five or six people, other people at ITF that, yeah. that,
1: that 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 we have little fist fights in the hallway about yeah, sure. about, you know, what the one true way. Right. Um and then we agree to to just smile so at So what each are we gonna
0: talk about today?
1: So um, I've been involved in the problem of how do you get little devices like light bulbs or door openers or, you know, gas sensors in a factory yep. to when you take them out of the box and you want to have them join your network, how do you get them to do that in a secure fashion such that you're pretty sure that they've joined the right network mm-hmm. and you're pretty sure that you, your network has accepted the right device onto it?
0: Right. Now, fundamentally, let's just wind back to basics. We have the presumption today on any Ethernet network that anything that can physically connect to the Ethernet network is trusted.
1: Right. You, you, The the owner makes the decision to, to have the device join mm-hmm. the network by plugging the cable in. Yes, or right. connecting to the wireless. So when you go to the connect to the wireless, you actually need to make a decision. You pull down your little requester on mm-hmm. your screen and, you know... Uh, you pick IETF99 as your network, or you pick IETF Legacy, or there's a whole conversation of which one you might pick. You opt into that network. But once you're in,
0: you've opted into everything that's attached to that Ethernet segment. Correct. Regardless of whether you mean to
1: or not. And and furthermore, you've just used the screen as a human to tell your device Mm. what your intention was. Yes. Whether that network lets you on or not, whether you have the right password or the right WPA key or not, You've just initialized your your device there, and if you got the right password because it was you know the guest network at the Hilton or something, then you also got you also did the process where your that you got the network you wanted to join mm. to agree to give you the password. Mm. But that was all mediated through your your mouse movements. Yes, right. And that was, a intentional. Lot of, it you was intentional. You
0: did it. You you intention, You plugged in a cable to the physical hub switch. Yeah. You you selected the thing and opted in and typed stuff on a smartphone. What happens when we get into the IoT era right. and we have a door sensor?
1: A door sensor. Has a no, it, sensor has no, or... it has no buttons. It mm-hmm. has no, it maybe has, if you're lucky, it has an LED. Yep. Um, we now have an IoT. We have um, kinetic-powered light switches. So the idea is that the force that you toggle the light switch down yep. or up generates enough electricity to start up a little computer, yep. get onto a network, tell the light bulb to go on, and at which point t- it runs out of power, but that's okay, because you're done. Because <laughs> that's all it needs to do. That's all it needs to do, right? So
0: today I'm using, I have some things at home, some of these um, fancy light bulbs, wireless light bulbs. Right. And they, I'm able to configure them over Bluetooth, Right. So Philips Hue, for example, has a Bluetooth interface and then you, you get close enough with your smartphone and then you can configure them and right. then you can say, connect to this Wi-Fi network.
1: Right. And boom, that's... And Bluetooth yeah. has this problem as well and you and if you've ever had the whole thing and it works, the, 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 the most legitimate experience I've had is with pairing my phone with cars, mm. the car audio system and they both come up and do you want to pair with, because they both have screens, and they yes. both come up and say, do you want to pair with blah, blah, blah? Type in this PIN number. Type in this PIN number. Right, and that's that. That's what we're talking about exactly. So Bluetooth t- solved with a pin number. It's a three-digit pin. Each end has to agree. Just fine when you've got a screen, and it's fine when you've got PIN a screen number and to
0: type a pin number in.
1: Absolutely. What happens
0: when you've got to? Well, device well, that? we yeah.
1: we have this problem in Bluetooth with headphones. Yes. Right. What's the pin for all the headphones now? Yes. one, one. <laughs> one, two, three Sometimes yeah, okay yeah, to the yeah. point where your mobile phone actually tries all of them. Is that automatically. how
0: Is that how it works?
1: Often they just try them automatically. Just try them, By default, right? Wow. So you I mean people used to talk about an attack where you're sitting on the subway,
0: yep,
1: and with Bluetooth, with the previous rev of Bluetooth, with their security, you could convince any set of headphones to please try and pair with me, <laughs> and you could fail, yep, because it's it, you don't have the pin, and if you did it three or four times in a row, the battery would be dead. So what does the guy do? Takes the headphones out of his ears, replaces the battery. Yeah. Now there's a race. Can you pair with his headphones before he pairs with them? <laughs> and you know the default pin is zero, zero, zero. Right. Right. So you actually could sit there and you could, you could really, on a subway car, you could take over everyone's device. And if you did it right, you would get the, ba- the, the other guy's phone to pair with your phone and your phone would be paired with his headphones. Right. And now you can listen to all his calls. <laughs> follow them around all day listening to this call so this is what we're trying to avoid right gosh that somehow- boring somehow well, it would be boring. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't it wouldn't work for me either. It would be I don't boring. It, calls, but you know, yeah. there's some potentially interesting yeah, some targets yeah, yeah, that yeah. that that would be very interesting to do if you could listen to all their phone calls all day long. That would be yeah. really, really a valuable that's, thing. That's
0: a nice little attack. That's a that's a lovely little pivot, yeah.
1: And and it was you know. totally trivially with this thing because it turned out that you could convince them the device to expend a huge amount of energy pairing with you yes. and run its battery dry.
0: Right. Right. Yep, so there's yep, a yep.
1: revision that basically says, okay, well, let's do some stuff before we run the battery dry, and yep. so it works better.
0: We can but, fix that. So, so basically
1: days. what you've done for your light bulbs with your network is you're using the, the pairing process of Bluetooth to bootstrap the rest of the thing. And that's great. and That's a good solution provided, as you said, you have a screen. Mm. So when you don't have a screen, then what are you going to do? If you had a thousand devices that you were going to set up, for instance, maybe you're putting one of these light bulbs in every room yep. of the hotel that you just built. Yes. Let's ignore for the moment whether or not the people who Rent the hotel rooms or are allowed to turn the lights on or off. Okay, <laughs> yeah. we have an entire working group devoted to that. Yeah. So let's just deal with how does the hotel know that it's their light bulbs? Yes. Okay. Let's let's assume that they're fresh out of the box. They're fresh out of the box.
0: How do you start?
1: So the process we have is essentially that there will be something that you get when you bought the light bulb, okay. either a um, some kind of um, a digitally signed artifact that came through the supply chain, or that you're going to get. Online
0: mm-hmm.
1: from your supplier. So it today, could, it's a QR code in the box, and it could be a QR code in the box
0: for consumer apps. Right. but for commercial apps, you're going to need to have a much higher level of right.
1: So maybe maybe you get a uh, an S MIME encrypted spreadsheet in the email. Yeah, which has essentially the equivalent of the QR codes in the that you would get off right. the thing. Right, same thing. And if you do it right, it doesn't have to be that heavily encrypted because it uses public key cryptography, and the data is not private. Yeah. So it essentially says that. These 1,000 light bulbs belong to the Prague Hilton.
0: And they're registered online. And they're, they're, yep. they're,
1: that's who they belong so to. So we
0: already do that today with a range of systems. So, um, in networking and software-defined WAN, that's how appliances are shipped now. When they okay. ship from the factory, they're tagged to a client customer. And when they're plugged into the internet, they instantly phone home and then right. appear in that customer's virtual tenancy.
1: Right, so this is for like you're talking about SDN uh, appliances, router yeah, type. Yeah, SD-WAN thing.
0: or router. Yeah, branch. Okay,
1: that's that's that, so. I didn't I wasn't aware of that. and That's yeah. actually brilliant to know because one of the pushbacks we have is people like, oh, people don't want to do that. They don't want to build their supply chains to do that. So if you're telling me there's already a yeah. supply chain that is doing this, and yes. that's beautiful IT news. It
0: resellers are doing it today because it's wonderful. And, and it resellers are really happy about it because then what they do is they sell the cloud management software for that and then take a recurring
1: take slice. a recurring slice of that. And yeah. so
0: they're very, and then more importantly, they make they are then able to see what the customer's got and then the vendor is actually producing an operations platform to monitor those things. So what you're seeing, yeah. what you're talking about too, if you go into um, Cisco's Jasper platform or mm-hmm. uh, AWS has a, an IoT platform as well, same thing. The thing that you build on the top of it is so that resellers ship the products to the customer but the vendor has already allocated those. So the reseller has to give away the customer details yep. but if the cloud management platform's part of the solution... The vendors they're already re- got the customers, they've already got data. It. So, but there's thing for the you've got to give the, customer, the reseller a quid pro quo. Right. Now the reseller can manage the devices using the vendor's platform. Right. So there's three parties in the in the loop, right? Unless you're Johnson and, Controls, and I know lots is of
1: ISPs that are so small, yes, that they're calling their reseller all the time for help, yes, managing their devices. So the reality is, the reseller's probably already yeah. in that business. Well,
0: they, and that very quickly. So once you're in that model, the the value add is telemetry. Yes. So you've now got a platform built at scale by vendor yeah. who's now responsible for monitoring all those devices at the edge, but the reseller is your interpreter. Is your interpreter. Right. right. So just because the vendor's produced a, a graphical console in a web page, blah, 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 it still needs interpretation. So your average user's not necessarily able to...
1: So you've described a wonderful system, mm-hmm. and by no means or imagination am I going to claim that what we've invented here was new? No. Nope. It... it It is out there and and many vendors are doing it and they do it in their own proprietary way. Okay, and they're yep. not compatible. So, for instance, that web management station is from that vendor; can only yes. manage their devices, and it's cloud
0: hosted, right? and and yep.
1: it's cloud hosted. May or may not outside, be blah, a blah blah
0: blah blah blah. blah.
1: Yep. So, this solution, you know, it, the, what we've described, the, what you've described, can evolve quite easily into mm. what we're doing or, as a standards process. Yes. And now you can have a variety of vendors in that management station. Yep. Okay. the The you can have a variety of vendors of the management station. Yep. The whole thing could be self hosted. If yes, you are, so say, be. the U.S. military yeah, and don't really still, want that One of the things that they outsourced. also do is
0: they, uh, the device wakes up, registers online, yep. and then passes it to the self-hosted device and then the, the loop is cut. Right. So even if it's inside the WAN, as long as it can connect to the internet, the device is still self-registered with the self-hosted. Right, so
1: we have a working group with the IETF called NetConf, mm. which which very, very much is entirely in that model. And I yeah. believe they're essentially standardizing that model. Mm. Um, so then we have a working group called Anima, which is... Um, going a step further and saying, well, but the devices that I'm booting up are the internet. Mm -hmm. So how do they register over the internet when that device is the device that's going to provide internet?
0: Yes, at some point you have, there's a level of recursion here. Right,
1: so we provide a level of recursion in the protocol. And then we have a a third version, which is the, which we're doing in the 6 Dish working group, which just says, and oh, by the way, the devices are so small that the set of things we can do them is very limited, so let's have a very minimal profile of that yeah. process
0: because having leaving things like a Bluetooth node or an NFC antenna inside a device is also a vector for attack.
1: Absolutely, so the obvious thing to do or is for, to put, or for locating the device. Yeah, hmm. right.
0: Which can be good or bad. That right. can be both feature and bug.
1: Yeah, there's a story, yeah. a classic story about a, a Kerberos KDC mm. at MIT that apparently was located in a closet between two offices, mm-hmm. and the guy who owned the one office had the the door like it was a closet that opened both offices or something. One of them. And one of them walled o- it over, because uh, whatever. Yeah. And then at some point later on, the other guy walled it over. And apparently it was plugged in, it was on the network, and it ran for apparently years. Yes. And no one knew where it was until it crashed. And
0: nobody bothered to And look they didn't it. know
1: where it was. <laughs> they just literally, finally they... Realized it was between these two offices and the wiring, and they had to use a sledgehammer to find it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, and in these cases, Bluetooth or you know an NFC
1: might have been useful. Could have
0: been a useful thing, and. Yeah. Um, we've seen in the wireless space you know these bluetooth um nodes where you walk up to a piece of art on the wall oh yes and they can place you The 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 bluetooth sensors can be put you know in the corners of the room right i'm thinking of the aruba i can't think of the product name but aruba has demonstrated these to me yeah and they can tell you where you physically are in the room you can track them and of course you can sometimes the devices have to be found you know because you hide them because you don't want it to make it obvious that there's these things plus everywhere so and they work in tandem with the wireless to do location tracking of your handset or right. some. So when you look at the picture, you pick up your smartphone and it knows where you are in the room, and then the app says, "Oh, well, you're there," and it shows you detail about the painting that you're standing in front of.
1: Right, and so, and I think that's awesome. I yeah. mean, I actually would enjoy museums a lot more myself if if I could learn about what what is this thing. Yes. Right. And yeah, they're having a lot of, of fun developing
0: those apps. Yeah, that's so really good. Um, the Guggenheim in Barcelona.
1: Barcelona, as
0: a, yeah, as as this one, yeah. So I think, and there's a few of them getting into this. It means they have to develop apps, so it, it does take some time.
1: Yeah, but, I was involved in a small company in Ottawa that actually mm, was trying to do this kind of thing, mm. and uh, they intended to go inside. But initially, actually, they were they were quite happy to do this for um, uh, provincial parks in Canada, yep. where it was outside. So it actually really was GPS. Yeah. But then they had the problem that there was no three G in the parks.
0: Because it was was too
1: far. And so they were trying to figure out whether they could could bring little bits of internet in (laughs) and just sort of park them there. A
0: little ahead of their time. Because ultimately that's what Pokemon Go was. Yes, and then (laughs) that's what,
1: you're absolutely right. That's what Pokemon Go is. Yeah, Yeah,
0: very much. And they did it based on the GPS and a range of things. But there you go. That's really, so that just reminds us that many of the concepts in networking are becoming outdated in my view. This idea that we assume connectivity is working and viable, and, and if something's plugged in, then security is assumed. Right. I don't, I don't think a lot of people have thought about it. Have you thought about how this could be applied to an enterprise? So where devices connect to the campus network? So one of the biggest security holes we still have in campus networking today is laser printers. Yes. When they connect to the network, it's very difficult to validate them. And I'd like to see that. because Campuses and,
1: have rogue laser printers? Well,
0: what they have is those ports are usually um, the identity-based networking is turned off. Yes, uh, and so they become a, a, a weakness in the network.
1: So, I mean, it, the, the interesting thing about this is, is laser printers are absolutely big enough in terms of their processing power that they could absolutely run this entire model, and so they really could do this whole this whole process. and And it's a good it's a good topic to to discuss because you know people just sort of want to scatter them wherever, mm. and and people at the same time want to kind of be able to walk up to the printer yeah. and say. I'd like to print on this printer because yeah. it's here. Yes. Like, yes. can I push the button and be authorized to print on it? Mm. And there's a whole back end that, you know, there. I know that Apple does an awful lot of interesting stuff with that mm. um, and in support of more home things. And, the, you know, it, it would be nice to do that. It just, nice seems, it just that. strikes
0: me that's the sort of thing that HP, not HPE, but HP should be working on to make printers usable and encourage people to print. Like, yeah. but they sort of seem to have lost, I mean... It Must be said that when I buy an inkjet printer now I buy it when the inkjet countries run out to throw it away and go and buy another one right I don't, and I,
1: actually and I try never to buy inkjet printers because I hate that that model, yes, and so I wind up with this with these laser printers that I spend more money for, and I think ought to work better yeah and don't. and someone's disappointed that even though the print quality is great, yep. you know I have to power cycle them each time I want to use them essentially so
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's very funny walking up to the shop and saying, Which is your cheapest inkjet printer?" And they point at it, and I buy that and walk off. It's well, just whatever's discounted on the day. I'm not what? going to futz yeah. around with ordering ink cartridges from because there's too many. It's too hard to buy the right ink cartridge.
1: Right, right. Like
0: I, I could waste 30 minutes working out which ink which cartridges fit. Yeah, too complicated. I to bought buy the a product.
1: new cartridge for one printer, and um, and it told me I needed to align it. Yeah. And I went, okay, how do I do that? And I googled, and it says, you know, download this. This software <laughs> to your Windows XP computer. Yeah. And I went, well, even if I had a Windows computer, it wouldn't be running Windows XP. Yeah. So how do I line it? Yeah. The answer is I throw out the printer.
0: You throw out the printer. And and with
1: with the new cartridge that I just bought. Yeah,
0: exactly, which right. is why I never buy new cartridges. Right. So I that learned that my lesson,
1: lesson at that, that point. Yeah. Um but I mean, but you're absolutely right. They're a weak point. I mean, I bought this lovely brother printer. It does Google Cloud stuff, except I can't get that to work. And it does IPv6, which is wonderful, except they forgot to put any access control lists on the IPv6. Yes. So the V4 has access control list, but not the V6. So I'm a little bit scared about this printer, and I agree with you. I wish I could secure it better. Um, I have no. It should. Uh, it should take certificates so that I could print, have secured IPP into it. Mm. But it doesn't. I can't figure that out. Mm. Right. And if it if it spoke our, so our protocol, to, so it would actually do it. So these
0: protocols could be could potentially grow over time and be adapted to be more than just the IoT stuff that we're talking about, with, that where we started this conversation, it could grow into a range of different...
1: Yeah, so so, so, right now we have essentially... We have, the, we have the specification on the voucher specification, which is yeah. essentially this signed artifact from the manufacturer to the owner of the network yep. that says, um, Greg owns this printer, mm-hmm. right? And the printer can validate it, this statement, yes. and, it, and it has a notion of who you are, the owner of it. Okay. So it can say, essentially... Um, Yes, these are the droids I'm looking for. Mm. Right, it can identify its owner, and this is a really critical thing. So this this document has just finished a working group last call, yeah. um, and it will be used across you know three areas: IoT, um, uh, core networking, and you know yes, appliances and stuff like this in the netconf, but into cable modems as well. Yeah. So so that's a really critical that's step a, there that we've w- just. Wonder passed. why
0: core routers don't have a Bluetooth interface to do their initial configuration. You know, when you buy a you know a core router for a half a million dollars, it wouldn't be too hard to put a Bluetooth in and then disable it when you're done.
1: No, and in fact, in fact, I've suggested exactly that. That yeah. that, that would be just fine—a Bluetooth or or any kind of a little radio like that. And and it and to me, it actually wouldn't be crazy. Yep. Um. So you get your your knock monkey. I'll bet the
0: networking vendors fell down in an op- apoplectic fit.
1: I don't know <laughs> that they would. The interesting thing is 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 one of the one of the spaces here is. Data centers were the places where you actually go and buy rent cabinets. Yes. Okay, yeah. by the month. And you go and install, you know, a couple of dozen U of, of equipment and some fiber, and you now have a, yeah. a point of presence there, right? Well, of course, today you you sh- you fly out yeah. one or two techs to do this, and you, yeah. you hopefully, you, you know. And
0: then have a perfectly miserable week doing tedious, crappy work.
1: Right. Jet lagged. And they're sitting mm. in a in a in a badly air conditioned or a over air conditioned room with the noises are you know need whatever what so
0: toxic chemicals right so I mean evaporatives and yeah
1: if you can get the equipment mounted yes. and the cables plugged in and you often can do this with remote hands
0: mm-hmm.
1: right who are not jet lagged but are not particularly you know good they're at anything selected right. for their capabilities exactly yeah so if it's all cabled in and you and you, and you can't get the the and you don't have enough uh, a network to bootstrap at that point, then an opportunity for the data center is they could be the other side of that Bluetooth.
0: Yes, they could. Right?
1: So the call home could happen over... I could imagine could a terminal over, server
0: that has, you know, eight serial interfaces, right. uh, eight USBs, and a Bluetooth. Right. right. And that's your out-of-band network. That's your out-of-band only network. If you could secure it in some...
1: Right. So, so in Anima, we actually have the protocol... Yep. To do that, to right. put it all together ad hoc, and to secure it, yep. and ideally, yes, you know, you could have little one-port terminal servers that connected together if you have a classic device or the craft port. Yeah. Of course, the smarter devices are. You know, you, you buy any one U server from any brand-name vendor. It comes with some lights-out management, right? Mm. Um, whether iDRAC or ILO or whatever. Yeah. Um, and they're 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 all atrocious. I would love to just have a business where I could just go you and know, replace people pay, them all
0: people, you know people have a, a pay an enormous premium to get access to those BMC oh, yeah. systems you know those IDRAX and Cisco yeah. UCS's Maniface and HPE's
1: it's, it's an enormous people premium people pay and they, and they like universally a
0: 40-50% premium just to have access to that
1: oh, I haven't paid that much but maybe, I, yeah. I, maybe you I
0: obviously haven't been trying hard enough
1: <laughs> well, I guess not. I guess. I guess not. I, I. It's. 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 You know. It's usually been a, a three hundred dollar option on a four K yeah. server, right?
0: Oh well, no. Well, you keep <clears> in mind that you know to get the three hundred dollar option, you've had to buy a ten thousand dollar server that would sell yes, normally true. for four thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's it's right. It's like
0: I can get really cheap internet access on this smartphone. Right. Once I've spent eight hundred dollars buying my smartphone. Yes. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Remember. Yeah. <laughs> that's the reality, right? Not everybody's got eight hundred dollars to buy a smartphone to get cheap internet access. So same sort of thing. Look, um, I think this is really interesting. I would encourage people in the audience to go and cruise in onto the the drafts in this working group. What's the name of the working group? So again? the the
1: primary one where the work is happening is called ANIMA. Mm? So So um, don't ask me to explain it, but to expand it because I can't right now. A N I M A, and um, it's about autonomic networking. Oh. Okay.
0: Wow. So that means networking
1: like just. Because. Yep. Um, and the, the associated two working groups which are involved is also SixTish, which is an IoT industrial networking working group, mm-hmm. and NetConf, which is. Um, yep.
0: We know NetConf. Okay. And the sadness therein. It seems like nobody ever wants to finish that one. That was a bit harsh, wasn't it? But it does uh, seem I, like. I don't know.
1: Like there's, there's, there's working groups that have existed for, you know, that have been begged for, please, please kill us now and like they keep the, going. Like
0: IPv6, which finally uh, this week went to be a standard.
1: Yes. Like, yes. Only 19 years. This was momentous, years. but. Yes, but,
0: only 19 years.
1: But that means that yeah. we've actually figured out all the pieces that we don't need and we've oh, removed oh them, right? My
0: favorite one <laughs> is that they're now looking, they're still arguing over extension headers. <laughs>
1: No, now we're officially arguing over extension headers, whereas before we were unofficially arguing. We were, argue, you know, we were only is- we would just sort of pass in the night and, and knife each other uh, about you know whether or not they were. In. Now we have to do it out out front with swords. Uh, well, so where
0: can people find you on the internet if they would like to know more?
1: Uh, my company is called Sandelman Software Works.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You can Google it; it's you know the top ten thousand hits for that. Yep. <laughs> 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 um, it's misspelled. S a n d e l m a n. And if I could keep the spiders out of eating all my bandwidth, I would. But I stopped.
0: That's great. Well, people can find you on the internet there. And if you want to, I'll put some links in the show notes to the ANIMA working group documents, so you can go and have a poke at the drafts that have been published there. And, uh, and right now, I can't find six tish, but I'll see what I can find out. Six
1: t i s.
0: Oh no, h c h. Six-tish. Six-tish, yeah. okay. So we were going
1: to spell it differently and then we discovered that the other spellings h- had meant unpleasant things in other languages. Perfect. So we didn't.
0: So if you'd like to know more about today's show, you can head over to the blog post that accompanies this where we'll have some show notes. I'll try and dig out some links to make it relevant. Uh, as always, you can give us feedback or give us um, criticism and love at our email address at packerpushes at gmail.com. Uh, and as always, remember that too much technology would never be enough.